In a world. Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who said? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world. Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so. Anyway, fuck yeah. Pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron. We both do. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, They'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So the equipment is top of the line kick-ass stuff as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot.
Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void and a very smiley face on the other side of this line. Straight into it. Who the fuck are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Vanessa Shirazi. I've also been called uh, Vanessa Meyer, Vanessa Mohawk. I have some other monikers that people in the skydiving um, community know me by. But um, today I am a... Uh, lecturer of neuroscience at the University of Texas and Dallas. Um, I am in the neuroscience department, which is sort of housed within a, a broader um, department called uh, brain and behavioral sciences. So that kind of encompasses like psychology, sociology, that kind of stuff, as well as the more biological underpinnings, which is the neuroscience side of things. So um, I uh, lecture. I have a few different courses that I teach. One that's kind of a fun one, um, even if you're not in the field, is sex differences in brain uh, function. <laughs> right. So uh, that one gets a lot of uh, public response, um, but that's one to teach. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, you know, I'll tell you what, this is my favorite thing about having started this podcast is um, especially before the podcast, I always had the preconceived notion of the skydiving community because, of course, I see things through my own lens, that being um, someone that didn't exactly live by the rules, didn't do the school thing, didn't do the career thing, and kind of, no pun intended, fell into skydiving. But I'm constantly shocked at the level of professionals uh, in the sport, up to and including fucking neuroscience. <laughs> It's just not something, especially someone with the the name Vanessa Mohawk, and I've seen many of your pictures with a proper Mohawk. Yeah. <laughs> neuroscience is not would not have been the top of my list for choosing a career for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I had the full Mohawk in all its glory when I got um hooded. So when you get your PhD, you get hooded. They put a hood on you. Um, and so you have to take off that little square cap and they put a hood on you. And when I took off my little square cap, my Mohawk sprung up into action and the, like the whole arena started ah, like clapping, you know, cause it was just this unexpected sort of moment at a PhD graduation. I so bet. yeah, got I bet. some mileage on the Mohawk. Now what did, uh, what initially spawned the Mohawk? Uh, well, that was after I started skydiving. Um, it was like, I knew some people that had that haircut. Kevin Brown, um, was my Mohawk mentor still is. Um, and I just thought he was like the coolest person ever. And the Mohawk was the coolest hairstyle ever. And yep. would I ever be brave enough to sort of go for it and rock it? I mean, especially, you know, as a woman, that's, you know, very sort Pretty of bold. on the fringe of what's, uh, acceptable. And I did it and I loved it. My mom always said she thought it was sort of my own psychological experiment to sort of <laughs> watch people's reaction to me with with that hair and it was and I mean you get such a reaction from people um they want to take pictures with you or you know they they want to come up and talk to you or you know then you get rude comments too of like you know why would you have that stupid haircut you know and so you sort of get this full gamut of uh res human responses to sure. your hair which I love well, it, it kind of runs along the same lines as as uh, uh, people that are mild to heavily tattooed, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's I'm the sure. same thing. Because I used to never, I'd had a couple of tattoos, and of course, you never hear about it. Now I've got two sleeves, and depending on where you're at, you get a fair amount of looks, or at least you used to, not quite so much anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so you got the mohawk because of skydiving, which means you started skydiving um, before you were in your PhD stuff. So I was in graduate school um, okay. when I when I started skydiving. Um, actually, my roommate kind of had gotten the idea in my head. She had just finished up her degree and did it as sort of a graduation present to herself. Well, at that time, I was um, engaged to my first husband uh and (laughs) my for my bachelorette party I wanted to do something different like I was living in Chicago at the time everybody who's getting married they did this like oh let's wear feather boas and get drunk and you know bar hopping and I just done it and I was just over it and I wanted to do something different and exciting and scary and so um skydiving seems to be like the perfect uh activity uh, you know, to celebrate taking the plunge or whatever. Sure. And so I, I riled up, I think, I think we had 10 girls that came with me to all do our first tandem at Skydive Chicago. Um, we picked Skydive Chicago because I was living in Chicago. Uh, I grew up in Iowa on, on, on a farm in the oh, wow. field of Iowa. And uh, so half of my friends were coming from Iowa. So Skydive Chicago is kind of nestled right between Iowa and Chicago had no clue that it was like this mecca of skydiving, this incredible resort, you know, for skydivers. No idea. Right. It was just the location worked and we picked it and we saw they had camping. So we said, you know, we'll, we'll make a week, you know, weekend of it. We'll go, we'll skydive, we'll hang out, we'll, we'll camp there. Oh no. um, So I show up on the drop zone with 10 girls ready to party and whatever. And yeah, uh, uh, I made some friends. You think? You yeah. think? Ten yeah. girls show up at Skydive Chicago ready to party and make skydives. I would have yeah. figured you guys might have had a pretty decent time. We had a wonderful time. People were very welcoming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Now, how was the first jump? Oh, I mean, from the moment I got down, I was like, I got to do that again. I mean, I loved every bit of it. Um, From, I mean, you know, they ask you, oh, what was your favorite part? All of it, everything, mm. literally everything. The the plane ride, the exit, the free fall, the canopy, everything. Now, uh, especially because you were in graduate school at the time, I mean, obviously, especially for neuroscience, you're talking about an extremely intense lifestyle. I mean, I can't imagine that in, in that field of study, there's a whole lot of time to let your hair down, so to speak, and relax. So this must have been the polar opposite to everything else you'd been doing. Yes. Yeah. And I think maybe that's part of the reason why it like was so uh, I was so attracted to it because I had this very intense sort of mental challenge throughout the week. And then going off and spending my weekends at the drop zone was sort of this release of, uh, you know, just being in the moment and not worrying about exams and my research project and whatever, right? Just being in the moment and and loving life. Sure. Now, as you're doing this, you're getting yourself into skydiving while you're doing all these things. Do you have friends and family that are like, oh, we thought she was, we thought she was going to live a normal life and now fuck, she's doing this. <laughs> or Or were oh. they just supportive of it? You know, my family has honestly always been wonderful and very, very supportive of all my crazy (laughs) antics. Um, I know there was a point where my mom was a little bit worried when I, um, at that point, when I had 
finished my PhD, I was living on the drop zone and sort of had my my certificate, my PhD hanging on the wall of my drop zone trailer. And, you know, and I think she was kind of like, oh, wow, where is this going? You know, but yeah. um, always very supportive. So I'm very thankful for that. I mean, you wouldn't have been the first person uh, with at least a degree that hung on the trailer wall that never, ever got put to use. Right. So <laughs> I suppose her fears were not completely unfounded. No, no. <laughs> well, and it's also, I mean, with skydiving, it, it's such an attractant and, and people put such passion into it. It's very easy for people that are outside of it to be worried. Oh, I wonder how much. Now, was there ever a time for you that you're like, shit, have I taken the wrong path with the PhD? I should have been a jump bum. Or did you find that perfect mix? Yeah, I think, you know, especially when I was first um, jumping, I think, I was like, oh man, I wish I would have started earlier. I wish I would have gotten into this and then forget this whole school stuff and everything. Um, but I really kind of quickly found a really nice balance. And um, actually for my postdoc, I found a woman who had done some research using skydivers. So she was looking at stress responsivity in skydivers. Um, and so I contacted her and I'm like, I'm a neuroscientist. I'm a skydiver. I want to work with you. Um, and she said, yeah, you know, I have money for a postdoc. Why don't you come move down to New Orleans and work with me? So that was sort of a dream come true, sort of combining. Yeah. Now, so in that, so now you're doing research into the neuroscience behind skydiving. And I've actually always been very curious about that because I've read various things throughout the years. And obviously it changes depending on what they've found out and what they know, but they link it and, and say that um, people that like extreme sports um, lack some of the uh, natural stuff that other people get, which is why we seek to do things to feel normal, all of these different theories, which always kind of made me as a skydiver mad because it meant that I I was more of a um, uh, a slave to my my um, neurotransmitters and all that than I was to my own desires. Now that you've done that studying, is there a link to that? I mean, are we predisposed to want to do extreme activities? think so. I think everything is sort of on a, a spectrum or a continuum, right? And some people will get a huge kick out of sitting there drinking tea, reading a book, and some people get a huge kick out of throwing themselves out of an airplane. And I, <laughs> and I don't think that there's any like, you know, right or wrong or healthy or unhealthy. We're just, you know, we're a spectrum of humanity and um, we're all going to be fall somewhere along those lines, right? Now, in that study, did uh, um, did that link to like the fear response in skydiving or uh, wh what was that about? Because that's a big thing, too, right? Is people naturally assume that people that jump out of airplanes must not be scared because they jump out of airplanes. Meanwhile, most of us who actually skydive are like, oh, I was shitting myself. So what <laughs> what did you guys find in regard to the link to fear response and all that stuff? Yes, such a good question. So the study was actually looking at first-time jumpers versus experienced jumpers. And we were looking at different metrics of stress response, um, one being uh, cortisol, which is sort of your stress hormone, or measuring that in saliva. Um, so taking um, a, a sequence of saliva samples and looking at um, how your cortisol levels uh, rise and then fall in response to the skydive. Um, and then heart rate data, so collecting some heart rate data same idea, right? Looking at sort of pre-jump anticipation, the jump itself and sort of the come down afterwards. And the interesting thing was, although 
we did see a little bit higher response in the first time jumpers. Uh, experienced jumpers still are mounting a response, right? Your HPA axis is still active. And, mm. and that might be like, I'm scared either that I'm going to mess up this jump because I'm jumping with cool people or this tandem student sketchy. What are they going to do? Or just the fact that the your body mounting that stress response, that HPA axis, it's getting your body ready for a challenge. Mm. Uh, so no matter what, it's a it's a physical, mental challenge to be on a skydive and your body sort of preparing for that. It's recruiting all its resources to be ready to meet that challenge. So whether we have you know, one jump or we have a thousand jumps, we're still, um, we're still mounting an HPA response. Now it might be a little dampened, right? Because we're, we're sort of used to the environment. We don't have the total novelty, um, or maybe overwhelming fear that some first time jumpers feel, but we definitely still mount, mount a response. Now, would that be what people would know as the fight or flight response? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, because I should have said that. Yeah. No. 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 Please. I. I like that. Uh, I have to try and figure it out myself. It's fun. <laughs> it, it's. Uh, it's kind of one of those things that I think throughout your career, of course, the things that were initially scary become less so just because you know what's coming. But I don't think the fear ever goes away. It just transfers to a different part of it. Right. Yes. I mean, you're always going to get that response. It's just something different that's going to trigger it. Did you guys do any study on um, how skydivers control their uh, their conscious response to that? Or oh no, but that would be an awesome like next step. That would be yeah. Awesome. I yeah. mean, that was always the thing. Like uh, I, I started doing uh, maybe a year ago. I started doing ice baths, and uh, um, I discovered the same thing with ice baths that I did with uh, doing a buttload of MDMA, which I also discovered with doing a bunch of skydives, which has um, you're in the middle of the shakes with uh, an ice bath or you're just twitching out of control because you've done a bunch of MDMA and you can just literally tell yourself, stop, just, just stop. And you can make it stop. It's the same thing with that fight or flight. Okay. I'm about to freak out. Stop. And you can just make it stop. And I think that that's something that skydiving absolutely taught me was, you have to, you can freak out when you're on the ground and the canopy's collapsed, but you don't get to freak out now. And that's a very unique thing to extreme sports. Yeah, definitely. That, that sort of being able to harness those different experiences and, and being able to c- control our emotional response to things, right? I think that that's sort of what prepares us uh, to meet other challenges in life after skydiving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and we'll get to some of those challenges. I know that you're a very busy mom. I'm guessing those probably part of the challenges you're you're yes. alluding to. <laughs> a whole different set of challenges. Well, yes. back to the the beginning of your skydiving career. So you go out to, to Skydive Chicago and you make that first jump and clearly you decide this is something you want to do. Cut to now your PhD is hanging on the trailer. Where did you start to transition into going? I'm not just a casual jumper, but I'm going to I'm going to be a proper skydiver. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, really. When I got down for my first jump, I went and paid for that second jump. As soon as I got down from that one, I went and put my, they had a, like an AFF in a week kind of a thing, but you didn't have to do it in a week, but you could, you paid for the whole thing at once. So I put that on a credit card right away, right? I'm going <laughs> to get my license. Um, wasn't messing around with that. Um, and really throughout grad school uh, and even postdoc, what 
sort of held me back was just the finances, right? Like (laughs) you're poor as a grad student, you're poor as a postdoc. And I mean, I remember like having like piles of quarters being like, okay, I can do two jumps this weekend. And then I can have $20 (laughs) for groceries and like, okay, how am I going to like make this work this week? You know? Um, So really it was only ever being held back well by time, right? Because I still obviously spent a lot of time in the lab and um, but really just held back by how much I could afford to jump. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, now you obviously uh, progressed, I want to say relatively quickly. And and was there tunnel time involved in this as well? Were you, were you getting in the tunnel or was it strictly jumping? Yeah. So, I mean, when I started, I mean, it makes me sound old now. It was like, we didn't have that many tunnels, right? Like it was like, I remember um, Bonnie Grant and I, we started jumping together and we took a trip out to Colorado to do our first tunnel camp with Mickey Nuttall and the, you know, the old um, Sky Venture tunnel. And that was sort of crazy exciting. And I don't even, I mean, I think we did, I could really not afford that much. I think I did 45 minutes or, you know, not even like an hour for flying all the way out there. Anyway, um, when I transitioned out of academia and started um, uh, working in industry and really making decent money uh, here in Dallas, I got to fly a lot more in the tunnel. And that's where I feel like my skills really progressed because mm. I had, the, you know, the funds to do right. so. For sure. For sure. Now, I mean, there there really only seems to be two ways to do it. And skydiving is either you work in the industry or you work in an industry that allows you to afford it. Because let's face it, this is not a poor man's sport. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you it's it's feast or famine if you're working in the sport. And if you're outside the sport, you better make a good income because, I mean, shit, a good rig nowadays is what, four or $5,000? Oh, yeah. I Probably more than that. Double, right? <sighs> If you I mean, get I, everything new and yeah. I was in my first rig for, I think, two grand with everything. So, oh, dang, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a few years ago. <laughs> so, was there, did you find it difficult balancing such a professional career? I mean, uh, neuroscience is no joke. And now you're jumping out of airplanes for entertainment as well. Was there ever any uh, backlash between the two or any difficulties between being in that profession and going and spending your weekends jumping out of airplanes? Oh, gosh. Well, I think I did a pretty good job of of trying to, like, balance the two. I I do remember um, there was a jumper, is a jumper, uh, Pete Eng, Scott of Chicago, and he was a professor of physics. Um, And when he realized that I was a graduate student, um, he looked at me dead in the eyes and goes, why aren't you in the lab? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should be in the lab. You know, Um, I guess being in Chicago sort of helped because you it's seasonal. So during the jumping season, I would sort of be out there every weekend. But then during the winters, I was, you know, in the lab in the weekends. Right. And so I kind of made up for it during the the winter times and then had my fun during the summertime. And I was fortunate because um uh I worked at Manifest at Skydive Chicago which helped me to uh, I just worked for jumps you know so that was like I could um get some money on my account so I'd be able to afford to jump so it was like I would work all day at Manifest get off maybe make sunset load you know and it was nice neuropsychology is a profession and uh, psychology is a minor working manifest because you've got to be able to read people real well. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, that's got having in general. Well, so when did you start jumping, by the way? What year? Uh, 2010. 2010. 
Okay, so I mean, a few years ago now, I mean, you've been at it for a while, but you've you've gone from, you know, starting there and having to kind of, um, I'd say, jump into it relatively easily because you had school and the career going and everything to now being part of all kinds of stuff between teams and records. And I mean, where did it really ramp up? Because I mean, clearly you've got the skills to perform. Oh, well, that's nice of you to say, but I think it's mostly just, you know, that I love jumping and, you know, I like uh, showing up. I like being there. I like doing things right. I have um, a a love and a passion for it. And so people sort of respond to that. Right. Um, But definitely when I moved to to Dallas, I moved to Dallas in 2015. um, And that's where it sort of really ramped up. Um, That was when I I've been on a few um, belly um, four way uh, FS teams. One was all female team and we got to go to the world cup, which was super fun. Um, we weren't meddling at the cup, but you know, just being there, being oh, yeah. being there was cool, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> and then really, you know, my free flying really took off here because I was able to afford the tunnel time to, you know, learn to, to fly vertically and then learning about Project 19, the women's world record and sort of setting my sights on that as a big goal. And I have to get good enough to be part of that because it's this amazing thing and I can't let it happen without being part of it. (laughs) Sure. Now, was there an attraction to big way stuff prior to that or was it specifically because of the cause that Project 19 represented? It it was the cause that that it represented. Um, I think, you know, big way stuff kind of was intriguing just because all the really good people were doing it. So there's sort of that, like, oh, all the cool kids are there. Like, but um, it was really the the whole um, idea behind Project 19, celebrating the 19th Amendment was was so cool. And just the fact that it was all women, I'm, you know, total feminist. I love badass ladies and the idea of getting to hang out with a hundred other badass ladies. I was like, sure. <laughs> well, and you've got, so, I mean, especially without touching onto politics too much, it's very poignant these days to be involved in a project like Project 19 or the Highlight Skydiving Team now in an era where the United States is struggling so much with trying not to go backwards at full speed. Um, so it, it's got to be even more important for somebody like you, if as a feminist wanting to push it, um, that it's happening now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just like, man, and we think back, uh, you know, 100 years ago, and I've always been such a big fan of the of the um, suffrage movement. I in fifth grade, I was Elizabeth Cady Stanton um, in the in the school musical. And ever since then, I've been, you know, sort of obsessed with the suffrage movement and, and the what these women went through to, you know, and how much work and year hundred, almost a hundred years of work until they got the right, us, the right to vote. Right. Sure. Um, and how, you know, what a process it was and how many people had to come together. Um, it's super, super inspiring. Um, and, and so hopefully we can sort of, you know, well, it's insane. That. It's insane that the process isn't over it. Yes. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's the same thing with like gay rights in the United States. I can't understand that it's even a topic of conversation anymore. But women's rights, how can this even be something that we're discussing and why should it be necessary for a sport to have to try and highlight what the rest of the country should just absolutely be doing for fuck's sake? Right. 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 
we're skydivers for fuck's sake. We're not supposed to be the responsible adults in the room. <laughs> but that's that's not supposed to be us. So yeah. in 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 that, what what type of projects have you been involved with with Project 19 and what other stuff have you done either competition wise or or in that venue? Yeah, so I, you know, just always try to be as supportive as I can of anyone, but, you know, especially of women in our sport. Right now, I'm helping to organize um, the Skydive Spaceland Cis Boogie um, and just try to um, cultivate sort of an environment where women are welcome on the drop zone. They're excited to come to the drop zone, right? Um, and they have people to jump with and they have, um, you know, buddies and support network so that, um it's so easy, I think, for anyone, but especially for women, to get pulled away from the sport, right? Like you get married or you have babies or you have this. And, uh, you know, and I don't think that society is as um, they're not as accepting of women doing extreme things. Sure. And so it's even harder just from a social perspective, the way that people view you or what you're expected to sort of act or behave. Um and maybe it's okay when you're younger, but then definitely, you know, if you're, you know, older and you're married and you have kids, like you're not supposed to sort of keep doing these crazy things. Sure. Um, so it's hard for women. I think it's hard for women to, to stay in the sport. And we see that, you know, kind of this leaky pipeline where I don't know the exact statistics, but I think, you know, we're pretty equal when it comes to like who shows up for a tandem. Mm. Right. And then it gets less when you look at how many, you know, women get their uh, license and less and less and less on up the chain to examiners and stuff and judges and whatever. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because coming from first a tandem instructor, an AFF instructor, and then um, a jump pilot, depending on the drop zone that I was working on, I would actually see at least 50-50 women, sometimes substantially more. And as a tandem instructor, I will be the first one to say that women almost always handle that first jump better than men. Um, <laughs> they handle the fear response. And I don't know if that's ever been part of one of your studies, but women handle fear response dramatically better than men. And I think that a big part of that is because as guys, especially in the States, were raised that fear is unattractive and you're not supposed to ever show it. And so you're not supposed to be scared. So when a man comes face to face with real fear, we have no fucking clue how to handle it because the response has been programmed out of us. No, you're not allowed to feel that. Um, so women have always handled it better. So as I got deeper and deeper into the sport, I always found it surprising that there weren't more women in skydiving, but I was also lucky in that like Paris Valley was my home turbine drop zone. Um, I jumped in Las Vegas, but we'd go to Paris for the big planes and there were shitloads of badass women jumping even in the late nineties. So I was always exposed to these badass female skydivers all the way through my career. Um, and honestly, through, you know, blindness and and just not paying attention, it never even dawned on me that women were such a small percentage and had as many trouble, as many problems as they did in the sport. Um, do you see that changing? Because you're you're watching it happen. Yeah, you know, and being starting at Skydive Chicago, again, I just feel like so lucky because it was such a supportive environment. You did have these like badass ladies um and and people to look up to and everyone was so wonderful that it was any you know resistance i felt was outside of the sport not within mm. the sport right in the sport people were awesome and amazing and and super supportive um and you know that's again i credit that to starting at skydive chicago and sort of the the environment the social cultural environment that they've cultivated there is amazing um 
and any resistance that I felt was from the outside world, you know, mm. the wolf uh, crowd. <laughs> well, when you go to places like Skydive Chicago or any of the major drop zones are so multicultural and from all over the, I mean, it's from everywhere from all over the world. So, I mean, you don't have to ever travel outside the United States to travel the world if you're a jumper because you're going to be jumping with people from everywhere at a place like Skydive Chicago. So that's probably part of it as well. Oh, absolutely. And I remember, so my second tandem was during Summerfest, right? What <laughs> um, And we were meeting all these people, like gosh, people from Australia and people from Europe. And I'm like, sport is awesome. Like, this is crazy. Exactly what you're saying. I was meeting people from all over the world, right? And it was like, just really opened my eyes to to what the possibilities were with the sport. Well, and and the the topic has come up many 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 times on the podcast that the best part about skydiving is the community, um, because for me I'm an average jumper, always have been, always will be, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But the community is just incredible. It's a rock star community. I've got a couch on every continent and probably in every city in the world, just because I've spent so many years making friends with all these amazing people around the world. And you do make friendships really quickly and really close friendships in the sport. So it, it really is, the community is incredible. And I, I would imagine even more tightly so with women in the sport, uh, because it is such a small subset of the community. Oh yeah. And oh man, when I moved to Dallas, you know, I didn't know, I moved here for a job. I didn't know anyone here. I hadn't really even been here. I think I had been here once um, for a skydiving event. Um, And, you know, moving to a new place, you're sort of trying to find your footing and showing up to the drop zone as a jumper. All of a sudden you have friends, right? You have a, you have a community and the women here were amazing. And and we used to do this like wine and cheese night. Um, some of the girls would get together and drink wine and eat cheese and, you know, laugh and whatever. And they immediately sort of invited me into that group. And I was a part of it. Right. I immediately had a social group. I had friends. Um, I met my my now husband um, at uh, at the drop zone, too. Right. So it's like like you said, it's you immediately have this no matter what city you, you go to, you have this community of people um, who have your back. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible. I mean, I've I've bumped into back when still wearing closing pins was a very popular thing. Uh, I had uh, bumped into somebody wearing a closing pin on uh, during travels and I forget where I was. It was somewhere in Europe and someone saw my closing pin and it was a skydiver and went out of their way to work through the crowd to get to me to introduce themselves. And that's when, you know, all right, I'm kind of this is a cool fucking group of people. (laughs) There really is. Now, uh, you're, you're a mom when, when you have more than one child or just one, two, two. yeah, two, two boys. Yep. Two, what are their ages? So one's two and the other one's uh, nine months. So they're both little, little busy. So you don't have a whole lot of time. Oh, it's yeah. There's never, never a dull moment around here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now what, what has motherhood done uh, to your skydiving career? Has it changed it other than the lack of time? Um, do you look at skydiving in a different way now that you're a parent of two? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's harder now, right? It's mm. harder just in terms of time, right? Even and in, in terms of expense, mm. right? If I want to go to the drop zone, now I got to pay for the nanny for all day. Right. So it at least doubles the cost of anything that I want to do ever. Right. Um, so it's, it's the, the cost and the time. Um, I still have my passion for jumping. And I think that that's the most important thing. Um, I don't get to jump or fly in the tunnel as much as I was before, obviously, like, things are different now, but 
anytime I do, like I still relish in that. And I think it's so important to like stay connected to our, our passions and our hobbies and what, what makes us happy and what makes us tick. And it's so easy as a mom, I'm sure of any age, but definitely as a mom of young kids, it's so much easier to just be like, "Ah, I'll just stay home on a Saturday. Like it's just easier than trying to like prep everything and and get the, get the childcare and, you know, just to get out to the drop zone and hope for good weather. And, you know, so it's, it takes more effort and more energy. Um, but it's so important because, you know, when I come back after a day of jumping or um, I'm lucky because our, our tunnel, they do have some like league night tunnel events. When I get home from that stuff, man, I'm energized, you know, I'm happy. Nice. I'm stoked. I'm like, um, you know, I'm charged, I'm charged up. And I think that's important, you know, for, for, for moms to do because it's so easy to lose yourself. So easy to lose your identity into, I am just this caregiver for these little humans. Right. Sure. Um, well, I think, you know, honestly, in discussing it, what an amazing idea would be for both tunnels and drop zones, because um, our generation, your generation is a little bit younger than mine, but our generation of skydivers have kids of a younger age. Why aren't drop zones getting daycares together? Come on, guys. Oh, man. Why don't, could you so imagine nice. a, a drop zone with a daycare day or a tunnel with a daycare room and somebody to take care of the kids while mom and dad shred in the tunnel? Come on. <laughs> Right now, <laughs> some and, next level stuff. Right now, as your kids get older, do you envision them uh, doing the uh, um, personal packing weight type of thing and hanging out at the drop zone <laughs> while mom's out jumping? No, 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 I don't. I think, um, and that's cool if people are, you know, kids on the drop zone. I love it. Nothing against that. I just, I want it to be like my thing, right? Nice. Like that's my like, spa day, right? Like you don't take your kids to go get a massage or get your nails done, right? You leave them at home so you can have your time. Right. Um, so no, I mean, I, I think that my youngest or my oldest would love it. He loves airplanes. He was obsessed with anything airplane. He would love to come out, you know, for a little bit and watch, but, um, no, I want it to be my my time. <laughs> now, looking down the road, if uh, either of them decide that they want to take up the sport for themselves, uh, what's your approach to that going to be? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. You know, my husband was like laughing. He's like, oh, when the kids get older, you know, all your tunnel money goes, you know, they, they get, you know, get a fly in the time. I'm like, no way. That's my that's my tunnel money. That's my tunnel time. Um, no, I mean, of course, like I, I imagine. So um, my husband's a pilot um, like you. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Awesome, awesome uh, people. Um, and I think that they're going to be involved in aviation in some way, whether that's just having their private pilot license, you know, having their, you know, their A license skydiving. I'm sure they'll be involved in aviation in some small way. And maybe sure. they'll go off and do something completely different. But I'm sure um, they'll have some small connection to aviation world. Well, and like uh, like a lot of kids, they tend to push back on what mom and dad like. So they may yeah. go 180 degrees the other direction. You yeah. never know. I, I remember when uh, um, when my daughter got old enough that the idea that she might want to jump started creeping into my head. It was a very strange thing for me to try and process because although I was very active in the sport and consider skydiving safe enough, I don't know that it, I thought it was safe enough for my daughter, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because mm-hmm. it's still fucking dangerous. And then the big joke, of course, uh, is taking my t- then teenage daughter onto a drop zone. Yeah. 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 You know, I was a young guy on the drop zone. And I know what it's like when the attractive girl comes on the drop zone for the first time. And and 
luckily though the the skydiving world is changing a lot and the shit that used to go uh even you know unnoticed before is now not cool on the drop zone which is a nice thing yeah it's a nice thing but yeah i i I never knew how i'd felt how i'd feel about her making a jump and she's now made a couple of skydives and it's she liked it but it's not her thing so Mm. i'm like oh my goodness thank you (laughs) but you never know so who knows no, so I agree you, with you. I think that they're gonna they're gonna rebel and they're gonna be like into knitting or something. I don't know, like something just they'll take up golf. There, right? They'll take up yeah. golf. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be something like that, I'm sure. So, what's next on the horizon? Uh, do you have any specific goals in regard to skydiving coming up? Well, you know, this um, season, my main thing is I'm. Um, helping organize that sis boogie that's going to be coming up in a couple months. Uh, I'll be organizing at the um, the. Um, a uh, big revolution boogie that we do in Dallas. Um, but really my main goal now is to just like stay connected, you know, as much as I can. Um, I don't have the bandwidth to sort of like put things together. So if someone is putting together a tunnel night or they're putting together, you know, a cool Saturday at the drop zone, like I'll, I'll, I'll get out there and I'll, you know, be a participant, but I really don't have the bandwidth to do like much more than that. So right now it's my, my main goal is to just stay connected to my passion as, you know, as much as I can. Um, and, you know, and there'll, there'll come a time when the boys grow up and, you know, mom's lame. They don't want to hang out with me anymore. And then I'll have plenty of time to be back at the drop zone. You know, I love that lame mom is the mom that goes out to go try and do a 150 way head down or some shit yeah. like that. I mean, not exactly the version of a lame mom. Most people would think of. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you're not busy enough between balancing a profession in neuroscience, a, a mother of two very young children, and being a skydiver. So what what the fuck's your excuse? Come on. <laughs> Making it all happen as That's much it. as possible. So for those that are listening uh, and they want to um, find out about the Sis Boogie, they want to find out about your organizing, they want to follow you or just see when you're going to be at the drop zone so they can come out and make a jump. Do you have a social media presence that they can follow you on? Yeah, I'm really, you know, I guess old school. I'm Facebook, face, you know, and I, I'm not really on anything else, you know, and all the cool kids are on TikTok and stuff these days. And I'm just, you know, I'm on Facebook. So find nice. me on Facebook. Nice. Is, <laughs> does, the Mo- does the does the Mohawk make an appearance anymore? Well, so I did have the Mohawk. I did shave it back into the Mohawk for Christmas. So maybe maybe I'll do that. I'll, I'll post up my uh, Christmas hawk. Uh, for for everyone's enjoyment. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we've actually never spoken before, and I I don't even know. You're the, probably the same as me. I have lots of friends on Facebook that I follow their exploits, but we've never spoken. We've never met. Um, and I've always followed your posts because your posts are so cheerful. I've never seen a <laughs> negative post. It's always this fun thing or that fun thing with this huge smile and generally a colorful mohawk. And I forget what I saw recently posted. And I'm like, oh, I've got to get her on the show. This is she's just got a great energy, at least on the posts. And it's very nice to see that your energy face to face matches up to everything I've seen on the posts. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. You know, I will say, you know, I feel like with Scott Evers, we're such an accepting group as long as you're genuine. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like when people maybe first meet me, they think I'm sort of like a lot or they think it's like fake or something. I don't know. But the more they get to know me. Even if I sort of am too much for them at first, they realize, but that's just who she is, right? Yeah. Like that's just like her genuine nature. And once 
once people sort of realize that you're genuine, I think that they can connect with you easier. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. 100%. I mean, it's the people that are, are uh, putting on airs and, and trying to clearly paint themselves in one way that they're the ones you don't want anything to do with. But if you're yourself, it goes a whole long way, especially in skydiving, because we can smell bullshit from a mile away. Yeah, yeah. And we're so accepting of everyone, right? As long as like you're you're just be yourself, right? If you're an asshole, well, that, that's just who he is. That's fine. It's cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I actually had a friend tell me once that uh, I'm the nicest asshole he'd ever met. <laughs> Which for anybody outside of skydiving might be an insult, but I thought that was the greatest fucking thing ever. I'm like, "Thank you very much. I appreciate that." All right. Well, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of an insanely busy schedule. I know you uh, literally just got out of the pool with the kids to come yeah. and do this chat. So thank you so much. I want everybody to, to check out the stuff that you've go, got going on, especially with the, the Sis Boogie coming up. And um, when is it coming up? What, what it's is it? um, June uh, 3rd and 4th. Nice. June 3rd and 4th. So they need to get out for that and then follow everything that else that you got going on and all the best of luck with the kids and work and everything. And thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that opportunity. It's been so much fun. <laughs> you take care. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com by Pussfoot. That's right, head to Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com, Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com, check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe Podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.
Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. 10 hours and 10 years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. Enjoy.